0: Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world.
1: Well, I hope you had a wonderful week. We've got a great program ahead. The topic for today is prayer. In James 5.16, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the King James Version, the New American Standard. It says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Today's classic message beyond that topic of prayer, and then we'll have a great devotional afterward.
2: Now we're beginning to introduce a constant correlation and link in how God's people begin to have all the power that they need to see God's work accomplished. First, the power that I receive is for God's work. The power that I am given is to do God's work. The grace that is given me is to serve God. I do not get it because I'm serving, but it's given to me to serve God. Now then, the chief end of prayer and the chief end of serving God is to glorify God. In 1861 and 1865, when George Mueller began to think of his great calling in the work of his orphanages, the first thing that the Holy Spirit taught Mr. Mueller was that the chief end of your prayer is to glorify God. You may have a will. You may have an ambition. You may have a need. Forget it. Forget it. You may have natural desires, natural goals for God because of your need, because of what you've lacked in your life. And you need success to have a good self image. Forget it. Forget it. That's the way a lot of you are. Forget it. If you don't get promoted into some significant position, you feel insignificantly poor in yourself. Steve, forget it. Will you wise up? Forget it. If you don't get recognized and honored and built up and this and that in your motherhood as a wife, the husband doesn't say just the words he's supposed to say when he's supposed to say them. Motherhood caves in and you feel insignificant. Forget it. Your chief end is not to glorify God. You ought to see what comes over my office in a week's time with some women's emotions. The calls, the notes, the letters, the hearsay I get over a woman not having something happen that day. You wouldn't even believe that the people are like that on this planet. You wouldn't. I say to you women, grow up and forget it. Forget it. Does one fallen star ruin the sky? Does one black cloud destroy the blue behind it? I don't know what's so funny about that. But I accept it as being humorous. Now. See if we're very careful in our thinking. We discover. That our chief end isn't to glorify God. Our chief end along with doing God's work, is to be personally benefited in our circles. Recognized, esteemed highly, and equal opportunity to fulfill our ambition. highly to glorify God. And that's why we don't get George Mueller's results. Or John Wesley's mother's results. As a mother... Listen, Isaiah 43, 7. I have created man to glorify me or for my glory. That's why I did it. For my glory. I will not share my glory with another. Book of Acts, pertaining to the king that was smitten. I will not share my glory with another. I created man for my glory. Three things, yes, four, that man wants today on earth. He justifies it because he relates it to the church if he's a Christian. Number one, to receive the acquisition of knowledge. To receive the acquisition of knowledge. To receive the acquisition of knowledge. To receive the acquisition of knowledge and thus receive the esteem of the world system for his intellectual brilliance and accomplishments. To know that they would applaud him from afar if he accomplishes enough. In the church, it's the acquisition of knowledge so we can reveal our tremendous spirituality. Number two, the amassing of wealth. The amassing of wealth. If you can make money, nobody's discrediting that in the will of God, by the way. But listen, the amassing of wealth. Money means power. Money means acceptance. Money means domination. Money means dominion. Money means you have untold authority if you want it. That's the second desire of man in the church today. The third one is the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure. There's more programs on sports, on television, on a Sunday. If you're in it, you've got to get your friend and watch the football. Then you got to get your friend and watch the playoffs and baseball. Then you got to get your friend and watch hockey. And then you got to get your friend and watch, uh, what's the next one, basketball. And... Uh, And now, soccer. And if you really have a lot of time, bowling. But that's all clean, isn't it? That's clean and healthy. There's nothing wrong with that, except it becomes the pursuit of pleasure. It becomes that. There's nothing wrong with some of it, but it becomes the pursuit of pleasure. Then there's a fourth thing that men do to reveal that their chief end is not to glorify God. The fourth thing is this to make sure that your position equals your intelligence so you can feel high self esteem. To make sure that your position equals self worth, equals your intelligence, that you can feel self esteem. And have a manufactured image that's good as long as your position is highly favored in your surroundings now you see some of these things the things that I'm saying now reveal if these are the motives that these individuals have never been broken yet they will not get their prayers answered and if they do a very low value will be attached to the answer let me say that again they will not get their prayers answered, but if they do through logistical grace, a very low value will be attached to the answer. Now, as we learn together the amazing principle number one, that there's a link, Arch Mueller says, between asking and doing, number two, When I established in my heart, he said, that I truly wanted to glorify God in my prayer life, all of heaven opened up to me. He said, I prayed six years and eight months for a gift. Six years and eight months later, the gift came from Scotland. I had 50,000 pounds. And a gift of 8,000 pounds came six years and eight months later. He said, I asked God eight and nine times a day for six years and eight months and knew I was going to get an answer. Had no problem waiting the six years and eight months. None at all. He said, I knew I would get an answer. He said, I was asked, why did you absolutely know? He said, I was abiding. I knew I was in God's will. I knew it was for God's work. But more than that, my chief end was to glorify God in my prayer life. He said, my contemporaries would have quit after the first year. The best of them. Quote. My contemporaries, my fellow prayer partners, would have quit after the first year and forgot it. Because they didn't know how to abide and prevail and relax and keep it before the throne with thanksgiving. And then he said this, people need to realize that God is a living God, and God loves to prove his faithfulness, to prove his faithfulness. He said, before I started those orphanages, I would get promise after promise and taste the Romans say that, uh, oh, that's you, God, isn't it? That's you, that's you, that's you, that's you. And he said those promises began to get into my soul and I just keep up the promises. Oh, that's you, that's you, that's what you want, that's what you want, that's what I want. He said God's will merged with his will. God's spirit touched his human spirit and he just would be abiding and then And then God would work in his character in him, he'd work in his nature in him, he'd work in his fruit in him. He said sometimes the prayer came at the moment, sometimes it came that day, sometimes it took 14 years, but it came. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Now then, he then said, I wanted to bring greater glory to his name that he might be looked upon and magnified and admired and trusted. So I'd often go to God and weep and say, Father, I want to bring greater glory to your name. I, I don't care about George Mueller and the ministry per se, other than it will bring great admiration toward you, that people will want to magnify and trust you because of what you do here. So if you can bring in food today when there is no food on the table for our children. If you can raise up another house because it's needed. We do not have housing for the orphans. Enough of them. Enough housing. You said, so Father, today I want you to reveal yourself as a living God. That other men will get to know that you indeed are living that you're faithful like you were of old, and that you want to reveal your faithfulness to man. So time and time again, he said he would get up from his knees and know that heaven would beautifully answer his last request. So you and I today, in this very hour, In this very age we live, we have a living God. Not a dead God that a teacher teaches through knowledge. Not a nice Jesus of the Old Testament that worked miracles at the Red Sea. Not the beautiful stories of the gospel in which Jesus Christ healed the sick and raised the dead and cleansed the leper and saved souls. He did all of that. But we today and our succeeding generation, we have amazing access to this throne of mercy. We have an amazing promise from God that our Savior, our Lord, has gone to the Father to receive power. He's given us assignments, He's given us a call. He's given us individually and collectively a ministry. And we receive that power through prayer. Our desire is to glorify Him. Our desire is to magnify His name. Our desire is to honor His testimony. To fulfill His will. Our earnest desire is To know what the will of God is, and to have courage and faith without wavering to see it executed, is to ascertain the will of God, and as we've ascertained the will of God, to joyously and happily walk in the power of the Word, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of faith, in the amazing premise of grace, in the motivation of love, and we begin to prevail with confidence, we begin to prevail with boldness, and we begin to see God's will fulfilled, God's name glorified, and men and women exalt Him. Therefore, what happens to us as the creatures dependent upon Him Does not matter only in its relationship to glorifying Him. It does not matter. Forget it. It is not the issue. And every time God's people begin to get to know Christ in intercession in this intimate way, and they begin to pray and live, not in their own will, not in their own thinking. Not in their own desires. Not in their own preference. Not in their own need. Not in their own expectation. But God's will merges with their will. The Holy Spirit touches their human spirit. And God's thoughts become our thoughts. I tried that again this week. And I would feel a sweet burden come over me. A real burden. It wouldn't be heavy. It wouldn't be unbearable. I knew it was God's burden. I would go to the prayer room and pray. Knowing that it was God's burden. Not mine. I received it out of touching God. I received it out of quietly waiting upon Him. Thanking Him. Counting the blessing and then being silent in an objective way. Thinking of him. And then would come a burden. His thoughts had merged with my thoughts. His burden for that hour had become my burden. I could afford to be quiet. I could afford to fellowship with him. To commune with it. And out of having his burden, touching my burden, would come supplication. Intercession by my heart. Then my spirit would begin to supplicate. My spirit would begin to intercede. And I knew I was praying in the will of God to glorify God with the burden of God. And there was a sense of strength, confidence. A measure of heaviness that made it so serious because it was God's work. It had to do with God's people. It had to do with God's kingdom. It had to do with God's testimony. And again and again he showed me, it isn't my will that Satan prevails. Many things that are going on before your eyes, they're not of me Satan is prevailing, I want my people to inquire of me and to prove me and to have me reveal my faithfulness as a living God to dispel him, because every time you pray with God's burden for your family, for your church, for each other, Satan will try to bring in situations to discontinue your intercession. He will do everything to get you to discontinue your prayer. Because he knows God's required it. He knows it will glorify God. He knows it will reveal a living God. He knows it will bring forth divine dynamics in your midst against Satan. He knows that if we pray to glorify God, and we have God's burden, and we have Christ's yoke, Satan knows that much of his work right in details and families and individuals will be dispelled. And Satan will suffer loss. Our answer to prayer means Satan suffers loss. When I go to... To my altar, and you go to your altar, wherever it is in your room, and you go before God, and you're in touch, and you wait upon God. You don't travel where angels tread lightly. And all of a sudden, you're not living in any form of sin. Your motives are pure. They've been examined by the grace of His Word. Your heart is purified by faith. Your attitude is sweet and gentle and spiritual and godly, and the Holy Spirit then touches your human spirit. God's thoughts begin to merge with your thoughts. God's will, God's purpose becomes the all consuming thing. Nothing else matters. Not a thing, not wealth, not pleasures that's your favorite thing, not knowledge. None of these things matter. Not ambition or reputation or to be highly esteemed among your Christian friends. None of these things matter. Now you have the will of God, the burden of God, and you've joined Jesus in intercession. And this is what it's all about. And the words abide in you. And your words abide in them. And if God withholds the answer, it doesn't do a thing to your confidence. You have discovered the will of God. You don't waver. And Satan's effort to make you discontinue your prayer doesn't work.
0: If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.gracianpublic.com.
1: Psalm 73, if we start in verse 13, I'll just read this. Verily, I, ha- I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end Surely thou didst set them in slippery places Thou castest them down into destruction How art they brought into into desolation As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors And I'm going to skip to verse 22 So foolish was I and ignorant I was as a beast before thee Nevertheless I am continually with thee Thou hast holden me by my right hand Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And then there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. There's a very interesting transition here. Here's Asaph. He's a songwriter, a very tender man. A man of music, a man of praise. And he had committed his life to this method this calling of serving God. He was vexed in his heart that the wicked prospered in the earth. I mean, it got down deep into his soul. And God gave him a very special revelation. And it, it says, when I entered into your sanctuary, there, when I was in your presence, he had the privilege, because he was a song leader, to go into the temple and practice there. David, as a matter of fact, during portions of his reign, always had song going on in the temple. It was continuous. It was a 24-hour thing. When certain people got worn out of playing, he put fresh people in there. There would always be music in the house of the Lord. And this man had that privilege of going into the sanctuary, and it was there that he saw that God gave him an amazing revelation. That in the sanctuary, he had this amazing communion with God. This sweetness, this amazing life. That he realized that God was always ever for him. That God loved him. That God spoke to him there in the holy place. Now, we as believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the, temp- the fullness of the Godhead bodily and dwells us. If we look in, first, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? We have God because when we believe in Jesus Christ and we accept salvation, God quickens us and suddenly we are God conscious. And it is this time when we are God. We are God conscious. We have the ability that there is that literally the Holy Spirit is within us, and we can commune with God at any moment, even in our most backslidden state. There's just a moment of choice where we realize again that God loves us, and God is for us, and that we can turn to Him at any moment and be cleansed of whatever's going on in our life. That communion happens. And God leads us through circumstances in our life to bring us back to that place where we realize we are holy. We are the temples of God in this present evil age. Now, Asaph was vexed because the wicked seemed to prosper. And there is a very real barrier at this moment in time. God does not make himself known to the world in his fullness, in his glory in the present outside manifestation that we see in the world. People know the logistical grace of God. In other words, God has set up certain things to happen for people and principles that work in the world. And they work for the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on on those who know Christ and those who don't and don't want to. It works both ways. And God sets up this barrier in the world... So that because God is an absolutely holy God, if this barrier were not there, His wrath would be poured out on the wicked and they would be destroyed and consumed. And one day God will take this barrier down. Internally, we can know the glory of God. We can know the grace of God. And though we don't always see it happening externally, Externally, God has allowed certain things to happen, and people don't know him. And if you walk up to someone who has never known Jesus Christ and has never tasted salvation, they have no idea of the character of God. As a matter of fact, they're afraid of the light, it says in Romans. Their darkness, their own evil deeds, make them afraid of God, because they know that there's an impending justice that will happen. But what lives within us is the God that's in the holy place, the God whose mercy never ends; it's new every morning. And we and God doesn't because of what the work that Jesus, the finished work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, which He had already planned on planned and done in eternity past, He can have a relationship with us, and not and He can reveal Himself to us in a more full manner every day. And while we're communing with God, we are salt and light in the world. The very life of God gets revealed through us to other people.
0: We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is com. What an awesome
1: message about prayer now we have that sweet communion, and because of it, we can have a communication life with God. Prayer is really speaking to our Heavenly Father. Communicating needs, yes, that's intercessory prayer. And there's a, a way in the world that we're taught to have a religious prayer life, where we say things in, a, in, a, in a, almost in an obligation, almost in a desperation. But God would want us to have a communication with him, a communion with him. In order to have that life of communion, we first need salvation. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can do that today. You can do that in the quietness of your home. You can do that while listening to this broadcast now or afterwards. And at any time, you can call upon the name of the Lord. And he will hear and he will answer. And I urge you to do that. I plead with you to do that. That's the first step of having communion with God. So if during this broadcast you've cried out to God, you've, you've believed in Jesus Christ, please contact us. We'd love to speak to you and help you uh, just to a new life that God has given you as a believer in Him.